0: that's got the set, one hand.
1: Oh he's oh, oh. oh
0: The post is broken. Matthews in it. Oh, talk about a he-man. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your football life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, we do celebrate lives, and that's what it's all about. And uh, for those of you who are just catching the show for the first time i'm rex hunt the show of course as byron said is this is your football life and i've been critical over the years to go to many funeral services which are sad occasions and to not learn about the person who's passed on about a little bit of you know their character a little bit of where they came from and goodness gracious me without being too morbid the tobin brothers funeral organization have been magnificent in allowing us to go ahead with this project and source out some of the great names, some of the names that were household names in the years gone by, and one of them joins us today. 272 games for Melbourne. Melbourne captain, Melbourne team of the century wingman, Victorian captain among 15 appearances, Melbourne best and fairest, and this is the one inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame. He is, and still is, Robert Flower, Welcome, Rob. It's lovely to have you on the show.
1: It's great to be here, Rex. Thanks very much.
0: We inspire kids to say just because you're not a good kid in relation to sport or at school doesn't mean you can't be successful. And the world is littered with great stories in sport and in business, where the kid on the bottom of the class eventually bought the school. Uh, Where did you get your start as a kid? And particularly, I want to know, where did you inherit or or obtain your love of our great Australian game?
1: Well, I grew up in Murrumbina, which is a little suburb uh, stuck in between Caulfield Racecourse and probably Chadston Shopping Centre, and uh, not too many people know of Murrumbina, but uh, that's where I grew up. As a youngster... uh, I loved football as, as a kid growing up, uh, with my parents uh, split in their loyalties. One, uh, my mother, Barrick, for Melbourne, and uh, my father, Barrack for Collingwood. Oh. I, I inherited Melbourne, and my two brothers went with the Collingwood. so uh, we had a, a rivalry within our own household on uh, the fortunes of the football clubs that we followed. I was lucky enough to uh, live in the recruiting zone of the Melbourne Football Club. So, uh, if was ever a chance, I was going to be able to play for the club that I barracked for.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, when you were born uh, in uh, August 1955, Melbourne was in the middle of just being the powerhouse of the competition. You know, they talk of the Geelong and Hawthorne and Brisbane dynasties now, but this was a double header dynasty uh, with Barassi and, and Norm Smith and the likes of Norm Beckwith and a little fella who had your wing position when you were a little tacker called Frank Bluey Adams. Now this this makes you sick because it made Stan Elves sick. He played in a premiership for every 26 games he played, Robbie.
1: Unbelievable. They <laughs> they, they they won five out of six years there in the uh, late 50s. Unbelievable.
0: Oh, it is unbelievable. But you know we'll 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 get back to that in a, in a very short moment. Okay. When did the approach come, or did you sort of waltz in, or or how did you end up at Melbourne? And I and I think I can say without giving it away, it wasn't a foregone conclusion because you were as fine as a fairy's uh, necklace.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Uh, We used to play football in the backyard. My brother, my younger brother, and I and the uh, my neighbour, Peter Davies, who lived next door. So we'd come and have our games of footy in the backyard, Collingwood versus Melbourne. The uh, garage doors would be one goal, the downpipes on the house were the other, and uh, away we'd go every night after school. But before school, I'd get there early and be ready to, for a game of footy at the gate, play on the gravel in the schoolyard at Murrumbanda Primary, and just was devoted to football. When it came to 15 years of age, uh, and I was playing for Maribyrna District's Junior Football Club, I realised that uh, Melbourne had an under-17 side that uh, trained and played out of East Bentley. So I wrote them a letter uh, asking if I could come down and try out for their side, and I got a reply that wasn't too polite, and suggesting <laughs> that I was uh, a bit thin and uh, wasn't on the list of uh, talent that was provided to them. And, um not to come down so i persisted and kept writing letters and uh yeah. finally they relented and said come on down and they looked at me and laughed uh <laughs> you, wear the, you wear the glasses you're skinny uh you know look you could train with us and then uh probably be on your way i trained and actually made the squad yeah
0: um
1: and gordon duff who was uh, a great under 17s coach or a, a junior coach uh they you know, gave me the opportunity, and when I applied for a clearance from Maramita Districts, which only went to under-17s uh, and didn't go beyond, they refused a the clearance, and uh, I, w- I wasn't going to take any of that. I felt that I had my opportunity to play for Melbourne, albeit under-17s, and I uh, stood out of football for a year and ran, go, the, boundary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. ran <laughs> the
1: boundary as a, as a 15-year-old.
0: Well, that's dedication. Uh, where, did the, uh, where did the offer come for the, for the number two Guernsey that you wore for your entire career with great dignity? Uh, how come they offered a kid a prestigious number who hadn't even run under the ground?
1: I'm not sure because I... Um, in 1973, I played six under-19s games, three reserves games, wearing number 52. Yeah. And I hadn't even trained with the senior side. I'd only t- trained with under-19s. They b- brought me up to actually play in the reserves. So after three reserves games into the seniors, I walked in. Uh, Jimmy Cardwell, who was the secretary at the time, yes. said, uh, Bob McKenzie's uh, retired, and we're going to give you his number. And I was number two. And I
0: think I think what happens was Is similar today to the rookies list and the senior list That back then You remember they had a supplementary list That they used to print in the Sun News pictorial Before the first game And there was your senior list and your supplementary list And that meant that you could play for the seconds You could play for Murrumbini You could play yes. for, for Kite and that sort of thing yep. I'm sure that unbeknownst to you Because you were otherwise uh, occupied That your elevation to the senior team Would immediately relieve you from from the supplementary list and, and then, then on to the senior list, I'm sure of that.
1: Well, whatever it was... Sounds good, doesn't it? I wasn't complaining. Uh, it, was, it was funny because they we used to listen to league teams on the uh, radio when uh, they'd come across the airways and Melbourne were late this particular night and Noel McMahon, Chairman of Selectors, Ian Ridley, Coach, were on the phone to Dad uh, seeking permission. Uh, we're going to put Robert into the seniors and I was 17 still at school. Yeah. And uh, they did. They... It, they put me in, uh, much to, uh, you know, Dad was on the other end of the phone going, you know how skinny he is, you know he wears glasses. Yeah. Well, well apart from the number two, they also gave me contact lenses. So I played my first game in contact lenses. Where wow. Prior, prior to that, I was wearing glasses playing. Uh,
0: that uh, league teams, of course, on 3DB was uh, how a lot of players, famous players, actually found out they're in the side. I think the Lou Richards and Bob Davis were the main pair. But uh, the wonderful uh, character, Lawrence Coston who was just an absolute, Great person, particularly for the children's hospital appeal. He was the uh, he was the anchor man, and uh, that's how we used to find out. Now you played against Geelong, and they had some stars because they'd, uh, they'd had a pretty good year, a pretty good year as well, but also a, a pretty good era. Although you know they failed in '67 against Richmond, they were always up and about the Cats.
1: Yeah, they were, um, and we'd we started the pre the season off pretty well under Ian Ridley, and uh, this particular day I think we kicked over 20 goals and won the game uh, convincingly, I got, yeah. a, got a goal myself, a few few touches and uh, held my position in the side, and for the remainder of the year played in the senior side for Melbourne, as a matter of fact for my whole career I only ever played Melbourne first from there on in.
0: I think in those days, Robert, for our listeners, you know, who are a little bit younger than what you and I are, that they don't understand that the crowds went to see the clashes between the two big burly athletes, you know, the centre-half-back, centre-half-forward, the Ruckman, you know, even the Rovers, you know. But the wingman, goodness me, there was just an absolute glut of wingmen, And I I haven't, I haven't got that in front of me, but I can start thinking particularly from my side of Burke and Clay, I can think of Shimmer and Greg out at North Melbourne. I think Stan might have been in the opposite one, Stan Elves yep. to you at Melbourne. I bet every week you came up against a flashy, fast, tough wingman, and it was just uh, great competing at the highest level against these elite players.
1: It was. I think uh, every, every week you did, uh, regardless of the side, uh, the wings were... Um, positions that were, held their positions and uh, stayed on one side of the ground and up and down, up and down on your particular wing and uh, you, know, you had to have some uh, endurance as well as some speed uh, not that I had too much speed, I, I was uh, capable but uh, when you played against uh, Gary Ablett's brother Jeff who was at real yeah. real speeds, Mickey Turner down at Geelong and Scratch O'Neill down at Geelong yes. um, Brian Wood when he was at Richmond and Jeff Rains and these sort of guys you'd just, uh, it, was, it was a great experience to play on a wing and have these battles as uh, it would have been when Knights and Vander had their battles and you know all, all the battles all over the ground were a highlight of going to the football and uh, I certainly enjoyed that.
0: Well, Wayne Schimmel said in a recent interview that of all the wingmen he played against, he paid more attention to you than any other opponent. And look, I think we can have what we like in life. We can have a house and a holiday and a car. But when you're acknowledged uh, by your peers, that's what it's all about. This is Robert Flower talking to me, Rex Hunt, on This Is Your Football Life. And you know, folks, attending a funeral at any one of Tobin Brothers' 21 chapels is now just a phone call away. Those unable to be at a funeral in person for reasons of illness, cost or tyranny of distance can still be there in voice by recording a telephone tribute the day before the service. And isn't that important? Celebrating the life of a person who's passed on and you can't be there, but you can get there in voice. For more information, go to tobinbrothers.com.au or call 93737000. Right around Australia, this is your football life with Robert Flower were you one of the first players still playing to occupy an administration position at a league club?
1: Well, um, it wasn't a a true administration position back in um, the mid mid seventies. The VFL at the time decided that each club should hold a promotions and development officer uh, within their administration to take the game into the recruiting zones in the country areas and metropolitan areas as well. And, The football club uh, gave me that opportunity, I think it was around about 1976, and I took up the offer. And at the same time, uh, for the other clubs, we had Kevin Sheedy have the position at the Richmond Football Club, uh, Andrew Ireland, the Colonel Football Club, um, Kevin Sheehan down at Geelong. So. Uh, we we'd all meet on a regular basis in at VFL under Alan Swab and uh, the crew in there, and we would uh, have roles that would take our game into the far reaches of Victoria.
0: Robert, I can recall playing against you or just standing in the goal square and watching you do your stuff. You know, for Melbourne, when we played you, particularly at the G in front of the big crowds, I can remember your pace, and it's not necessarily running pace. It was, uh, you know, quickness of hand, eye and foot. And the thing about it is that really struck me is that Bob Skilton, I thought, was the greatest person either side of his body. But goodness gracious me, sometimes I didn't realise whether you were a left footer or a right footer. Was this something that you trained at and practiced as a kid or is it till you got to the highest level when you knew that you had to do this to succeed?
1: Now, I think you, uh, as a youngster you were taught uh, to, to utilize both sides of the body uh, and you used to practice left and right foot. But I was probably a little bit different in a, in a sense. I was a right foot kick but a left-handed uh, person. So I would handball left-handed. So I had a, a bit of a... Balance both sides of the body, so it did enable me to use skills on both sides of the body um, a lot easier than maybe some would who were just traditional on a left foot, left hand, or right foot, right hand type person. So I was, a, I was a bit probably born lucky, as Brassy would say, with uh, where he would say you, you, you're born with that talent, you just got to utilise it.
0: Well, there's not a player born at any level of football who sometimes doesn't play with injuries, but 1980, you just couldn't shrug them off. Uh, what was wrong with you? And it really held you back. But my goodness me, the Brownlow votes kept on flowing. But uh, the problem is that we've all got to play with injuries every now and again. And that's what the people outside the fence don't understand, Rob.
1: Yeah, well. Excuse me, uh, in in the uh, the era that we played, uh, Rex, was, it was very physical, so you were likely to take a lot of knocks. Uh, you know, corkies were uh, something that, that hit you hard. Um, I had shoulder problems, that I had a, a shoulder pinned in that era, but also broke a collarbone uh, pretty badly and missed a, a lot of football with a broken collarbone.
0: Wow, gee, that. But uh, goodness me, in a couple of years' time, you were back uh, flying high, and in fact, in 1982, you were the first uh, demon to, uh, uh, to be named Victorian captain since the great Ron Barassi in 1961. How much of a thrill is that up with all the accolades that you've got at home on the, in the cabinet?
1: Oh, I was an enormous thrill because when you go and play uh, interstate football, I remember my first game walking in there uh, with the heroes that you followed as a as a footballer growing up. And to sit there alongside them was uh, yeah, very nerve-wracking, to be honest. And, and I had to touch myself a few times to think, am I really here? Yeah. But uh, you know, Bruce duell on a half-back flank, Nan Kurvis in the back pocket. You've got uh, Schimmelbush on another wing. You've got so many great players, and, and you really uh, you, it was surreal um, to be there. And when you played the game, whilst the coach didn't have a lot of time to put tactics together... Players knew what to do and how to play the game and you you could make position on a, on a number of occasions knowing the ball would come there, particularly with the Bruce Dool on the half-back flank who was uh, one of my heroes. and. and you talked about Shimmer before. He was the other one. Had two two favourites because they played their football in a manner that they didn't seek accolades, they didn't seek headlines. They just went out about and did their job week in, week out to a standard that was, you know, the top level week in, week out. So they were my heroes. But to be captain of a side like that, um, I just wished every player in my side at Melbourne could have had that opportunity because you learn so much from it about. Um, the professionalism, um, the attitudes, what they take to the game and what the coaches that were coaching at the time put towards you as well which was different obviously to what you have at club level.
0: It's a great thrill for me today to be speaking with Melbourne champion Robbie Flower. A lot of people say, oh, former Melbourne champion. To me, once you're a champion, you're a champion. Inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame for him to be honoured and for when he's not here anymore like the rest of us uh, who are in the final quarter, the fact is that his children and their children will have a look at their dad and their pop and their uh, great-grandpop and say what a fantastic player he was. Uh, Join us after the break because then we get Ron Barassi, the return of the Messiah to the MCG, and a little bit of change of direction for our guest Robbie Flower. Please join us out of the break for Toman Brothers, and if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, Twitter, go to Twitter at Rex football Life. And you know what I know about Twitter? It's Mike canary. Does he twit or does he tweet? This is your football life. <laughs> listening to this is your football life with rex hunt for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives Dream rises to the top he is an absolute legend of the game you're listening to this is your football life with rex hunt for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives yes yeah, thank you very much to you, byron welcome Welcome back. Uh, We're interviewing Robbie Flower and chatting about a wonderful career at Melbourne, 272 games, best and fairest, team of the century at Melbourne, inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame, you know, a fantastic honour by his peers and uh, Robbie uh, in 1983, uh, the biggest name at Melbourne and arguably in the game with Ted Whitten. Uh, Ron Barassi had had enough of you getting tagged every week on the uh, wing and he moved you to the back line.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, not not surprisingly um because he had uh the team in mind and when you first start playing football you play a little bit for yourself in that you got some uh you want to be in the side week in week out so you the wins are are there if they come but they weren't paramount in 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 a sense. And when Brassi came, it came about winning games of football. Uh, he brought a professionalism to the club that we hadn't seen before on and off the field. Uh, and he started to put things in place to make sure we we're well prepared for our games. And part of that was uh, little things in football, the things you do when you haven't got the ball, the the tactics that were around the centre, centre bounce and the square, uh, the positional play that helped the side win and putting players in positions where that would happen. So we had Kelly O'Donnell who could fit nicely on the wing. He was, uh, I was getting tagged week in, week in, week out. So he thought the best way, way to go about that would be play me off the half-back flank, allow me to run, and hopefully the opposition uh, wouldn't tag from uh, a half-forward flank. And uh, it was, it was quite successful.
0: Yeah, but you weren't without your uh, aches and pains either, particularly with your debilitating uh, nerve pressure on your back and then broken collarbone in 85 and and 86. uh, The thing that goes through all of our minds entered your mind, and that would be, how long can I go on with this?
1: Exactly. Uh, Ron Rossi retired at the end of 85, and John Northey came to the club in 86. And when that happened, uh, I was a bit hesitant as a a a senior player with only a couple of years left under my uh, belt. And um, I felt that you know, Johnny Northey didn't have much of a reputation. He play, he'd played Richmond. I used to watch uh, him with his uh, long sleeve jumper and socks down and uh, kicks that would wobble through for goals. Uh, he was a, a great goal and a coach at the Sydney Swans. But I didn't think he may have been the answer for the, what we were looking for at Melbourne. But... Goodness me! Lo and behold, he was fantastic. He, he brought a, a breath of fresh air that he uh, he actually expanded on Barassi's professionalism with a game plan that enabled us to attack and have numbers at the ball and you know pressure opposition and and do the things that got us into the finals in '87.
0: Yeah, and uh, uh, they used your image, apparently, uh, for a player acquisition fund in 87, uh, because a lot of people wanted you to have one last chance at playing a final, which is quite incredible. Like Stan Elves, he arrived at Melbourne in 1965 after they won it in 64, and they'd played in the last 878 final series, never played a final, and neither had you. And uh, you you, you got a bloke called Earl Spaulding, who was just, I used to call him the golf ball when I was broadcasting, (laughs) but goodness me, he was your powerhouse set of half forward. And uh, a bloke who could play a little bit, Todd Viney, uh, and uh, those together with a few other players, you started to get a real good group together.
1: Yeah, Warren Dean came across also, uh, Stephen Stretch, and then the young kids coming up through the the ranks were also terrific. You know, the uh, Greg Healy had uh, come through the under-19s under Ray Jordan, uh, Rodney Grinter, who did the same, Big Straubes O'Dwyer, uh, Jimmy Steins had come across from Ireland and was starting to get some touches and play on the yeah. side. And, um, yeah, we started to get a, a combination together that was... Uh, Pretty formidable, uh, but I was in my the twilight of my career and uh, I decided at the start of '87 to retire. That uh, I was captain on the side. I wasn't, you know, getting the full benefit of my experience because of injury, and decided that I'd retire at the end of '87. It was an embarrassing moment, to be honest. I was uh, um, a bit touched and reluctant in a way to put, you know, give Robbie one last chance because it wasn't about me. It was really about the Melbourne Football Club and what what we wanted to achieve. And uh, lo and behold, we went through the 87 season after that campaign and it got to the last game of the year and we had a chance of making the finals. Uh, We had to travel down to uh, Western Oval to play Footscray, who were vying vying for fifth position. We... uh, we had to win that game, but we had to rely on Geelong getting beaten by Hawthorne at Kardinia Park, because if they won, they were in the finals. Yeah. And the way the cards tumbled, uh, Geelong were beaten in the last kick of the day by a Dunstall goal, yeah. and uh, we got over the top of uh, Footscray out at the Western Oval in the last quarter, and we are in the finals the first time in my career. So if we had have lost that game, it would have been 269 games, uh. zero finals, uh, but... We got to 272 with three finals uh, thrown in for good measure.
0: And I'm sure even though you know, the, the last one ended uh, in tragic and unfortunate circumstances, you know, th- th- they are great memories for you. And, of course, this circumstance uh, is uh, the preliminary final out at Waverley Park uh, with a heartbreaking loss to Hawthorne. Uh, and this was the incident that absolutely wrecked Melbourne's chance of playing in a grand final.
1: Got to kick them 55 metres out. I don't think they... It's 50, 50
0: metres! 50! If he kicks this goal, Hawthorne are in the 1987 Grand Final. If he misses, Melbourne are in. There's the kick. It's a goal! It's a goal! Hawthorne have won! And it was just unfortunate, Robert, that perhaps Jim Steins didn't fully understand that rule of running through the mark. And despite the fact that it was only a uh, 15-metre penalty, it gave Bacanara his beautiful distance and he very, very rarely missed from uh, there the great Hawthorne goal kicker.
1: Uh, he was a fantastic kick for goal, but not only that, he's a great player, he knew how to get the ball. But I'm still adamant that uh, in that game, that whilst we had the uh, numbers and the uh, score on the board all the way through, if it wasn't for Hawthorne of that era... Uh, we were, probably would have beaten the other, other side. They were so professional. Once the point had gone through and knowing it was uh, very little time to the end of the match, they didn't muck around with it. They kicked it you know, 60 metres down the middle of the ground, takes a mark, plays on with a quick handball, another 60 metres down the ground, Bacchanara in front, gets a free kick, and the siren goes. Goodness and, me. We thought it was uh, all over in our favour, but lo and behold, there was a little incident that happened, and uh, Jimmy went through the mark and uh, brought him within kicking range, and he duly slotted.
0: But what an impact Jim Stein's had on the club. It was just absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Now, before we finish up, I I need to speak to you uh, about probably not a good thing in your memory, but it's going to inspire people to go and see their doctor. But uh, and this is this this will prevent you from giving the Tobin brothers uh, your check. I can tell you now. Where would you like Tobin Brothers funeral to celebrate your life when the time comes? It can be at a church or a chapel, but it can also be at places at less conventional venues, such as golf clubs, a footy oval, restaurant, theatre, even 35,000 feet above Port Phillip Bay. Watch the snapper and whiting. The sky's the limit. If it's legal, the Tobins will make it happen. Tobin Brothers funeral celebrate lives and uh jim from james from tobin brothers give me permission to say that uh you know, all our people can just sort of you know take a little bit of a step back because he's not looking to uh give him a service yet uh but uh prostate cancer comes to the uh for every year at this time of the year with the legends game with the ted Whitten's sad passing and you were in that area for a while
1: yeah um surprisingly because uh Uh, I was like most men think we're invincible uh, it won't happen to me and uh, lo and behold because one day I was uh, playing golf in a cancer day and on the way home was with Todd Viney and Mike Shan. and Mike Shan mentioned to me uh, have I been checked for prostate cancer and I said Mike I'm 45 I don't even know what prostates are. He said well it's an important uh, organ within your body that uh, is cancerous can be cancerous and uh, you should be checked at your age. So I said, next time i have having cholesterol done, I'll get it checked. And I did. And uh, the lovely man that did the uh, inspection found a lump on my prostate uh, mm-hmm. that sent me off a biopsy, and it'd be, it was a cancer and it was aggressive. So I had uh, my prostate removed at the age of 45, and people say, how does that affect your life? Well, I suppose uh when, when you hear the C word, cancer, uh, in the alphabet, D comes after it, and that's death.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if
1: you don't do anything about it, there's that... The, very high possibility that you may die so, so I it's went, either
0: the doctor or the Tobin brothers
1: that's right and yeah. I, I think I'll, I don't mind the Tobin brothers but a little yeah. bit further down the track
0: down the track yeah I agree Yeah. yeah.
1: so <laughs> I, I had to take it out and the message I, I've got there prevention is better than cure uh, get yourself checked uh, regularly for all your men 's health issues, in particular prostate cancer, which a lot of guys uh, are hesitant about because of of what it, uh, what part of the body it relates to, and you know the damage it can do, but the damage of not seeing your kids and grandkids oh, grow up yeah. is a lot worse.
0: Robert, uh, you've just put it beautifully. Uh, I thank you for your time today. I could continue on and uh, perhaps who knows down the track we will continue, continue on with the rest of the story. But uh, you've been an inspiration not only on and off the field and I thank you for your time today on This Is Your Football Life. Thank you, Rex. If you'd like to hear extended versions of this interview, check out facebook.com forward slash Tobin Brothers Funerals or follow us on Twitter at rexfootballlife. Life. This has been This Is Your Football Life thanks to Tobin Brothers who are celebrating lives. Join us next week from 7.30am Sunday morning on 1116 SEN.